we'll uh, let people come in, Jonathan. So just hang hang tight for a moment. Uh, I got to let them come into the room here. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna have a blast tonight. This is gonna be fun. Oh, good. This is gonna be fun. Uh, <laughs> let people coming in. Hopefully, we get a, some good a good crowd this evening. I'll go ahead and speak just for a couple of moments here. Um, hope everyone's having a great week. I hope there's rain coming to the folks that need it. Uh, we've gotten some here and there. We're doing okay. So, you know, you don't want to see anyone um, having, a, ha having a tough year. So hopefully, hopefully there's rain coming. And, um, you know, you got to stay strong and keep your head up. And, and uh, it's amazing but uh almost everything always works out it's it's unbelievable it almost always does so folks keep your heads up and uh we're going to have a blast tonight and and i'll tell you you know we might do this rachel's going to be with us uh this evening so uh she just put up a a, a post there to please ask questions in the chat but you know what if you really want to if you really want to talk to jonathan here tonight that's why we do this live Raise your hand. There's a button down there that says raise your hand and Rachel can unmute you and then you can actually talk to Jonathan. So here's our guest tonight. Oh man, this is going to be great. Jonathan, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Good, good. Well, I'm going to start like I always do. Here's how, you know, got to do it like always. Giddy up. Let's go. All right. Jonathan, what is on your mind right now? Uh, right now, well, uh, I've been on the road a lot lately, and we try to eat farm fresh foods as often as we can as we're sampling oh, around the country impossible. and stuff. And uh, I get real tired of road food. So I'm, my, what's on my mind was I just made supper for Christina and I and just had one of our own chickens and... Uh, and boiled it up a little bit, threw in some taco seasoning and threw a bunch of fresh vegetables in together. And it was it was one of the best meals I can remember in a while. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Just kind of well, when you eat your own food and you, yeah, I don't know. It's just different, isn't it? Well, and then you're with family and uh, you yeah. just you can just kind of just relax, you know, let the air out a little bit. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's all. I'll tell you, man. Uh, the folks that are, you know, yourself and and Gabe and and uh, myself and there's I'm gonna I'm gonna miss a lot of people, but there's a lot of people that are out trying to give information that's helping. And I tell you, it takes a toll on your body when when you are gone day after day after day. And um, so thank you for doing that. You've got so many great things to to tell us and teach us. Uh, unfortunately, Jonathan and I have never met until we met in New York City, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I don't want to go there yet, but uh, it's where Jonathan and I are going to do a lot more communicating. I can I can guarantee you that at least I I want to. I, hopefully, he's wanting to reciprocate. So that's good. Let's get let's get started. Let I want to go back. You know, I like to give a little bit of history. Tell us tell us when you know. When did you when did you think that uh, we got to be paying attention to what the soil is telling us here, and we got to we got to we got to figure out how to keep it alive? When when did that when did that hit you? You know, it, I, yeah, I it, I came into this as an entomologist 
And now I'm much more of an agroecologist. Soils are really, really an important aspect. And I think that I worked with soil scientists down the down the down the hallway from me, and they were telling me how important it was, but I didn't get it. And yeah. it wasn't until I started farming myself and meeting folks like you and Gabe Brown and Gail Fuller and, and some of these real leaders in the soil health movement that it really started to make sense. And it's like, man, yeah. that's the answer for an awful lot of things. Yeah. So what, uh, okay. So, I mean, I don't know how to, I don't know how to ask this question rather than just bluntly ask it. I mean, okay. So did you just, have you just totally thrown away everything you were, you were taught then? Or, or I mean, is it, and you started over? I mean, is that basically it? You know, I often think, because I've got graduate students and, and uh, people that are in the in the group and stuff, and I wonder, you know, would they ever be able to start like an ecdysis foundation a, a kind of a scenario? And I, I wonder how much of the legacy that I had as a federal scientist and working at the universities and stuff like that kind of fed into this and gave me enough of enough political clout or, or capital to kind of yeah to be able to build on i don't know you know did i throw it all away yeah absolutely i did uh but you know i still have a lot of the scientific methodologies and, well, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. all of that kind of yeah. mentality that still was there but at the same time i became a farmer yeah and you can be like so when a scientist approaches a problem it's totally different than when you're farming right and uh and so as a scientist, you know, if there's a problem on the farm and be like, oh, okay, well, let's, you know, let's partition this out and let's figure out the optimal solution to this. And if we do this a particular experiment and control it using this and, yeah. and, and then years later, you know, you come up with the optimal solution. And as a farmer, I'm like, damn it, the sheep just broke out. I need to pull the trigger now, given the best information that I have at this moment. Yeah. And that's a different mindset you know that's a totally different mindset really yeah. important that i experienced that yeah and and you're so right you know um a lot of times when i when i go to places and i speak everyone tells me rick it's so important you've got to tell the folks how many acres you're farming you got to tell and i'm like you know i just don't like no rick you don't understand if they if they hear you say that you're doing these things at scale then they don't have any more excuses to not, and I'd be like, okay, all right. And that's kind of what you're talking about. I mean, and you want to hear that message being delivered from someone who's got skin in the game is down in the trenches with everyone else. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Yep. you got to be able to speak the, or talk, walk the talk kind of, so to speak. Yeah. That's right. That's right. We've had our first question. Lude Mila's on. How you doing? Lude She's on every week. Uh, Jonathan, how is pasture cropping going at Blue Dasher? Oh my goodness. Um, great. Uh, this year we've kind of taken a little bit of a break just because we got so darn busy with the research side of things, but we got our fencing all situated and that was critical for those sheep. We, we raise, we raise lamb on the farm. We also have umpteen different other species. We really believe in immersing ourselves in life here. Um, but the cross fencing and the perimeter fence and keeping it hot and, and, and getting the rotation down has been really an important development. And then now we're hoping to start looking into, uh, 
from getting a winter cereal crop into those warm season grasses because we're kind of farming on the prairie. Um, and so we don't try to eliminate all of the all of the plant or diversity from from our fields. We try to work with it. Yeah. And so by growing a, a cool season crop and then using grazing during the warm season, uh, it might give us the opportunity to be able to do that. Kind of what Colin Sykes was doing out in Australia. But, um, yeah. So, well, help me out here. So you mean like to, you're going to go in and plant like a, a cereal rye or a triticale or something into this? We're hoping like a bread wheat kind of uh, for flour that we you're can gonna take that for harvest for grain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. In the cool season prior to those warm seasons growing, getting in. Yep. Just because those cool, the only other cool seasons that we have in our crop fields are, are just grown. And, yeah. and so it's great for early season forage, but we're really interested in, in, uh, you gotta oh, spread your wind. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes total sense. So Let's talk a little bit about biology then. I mean, how are you, do you have an, a, a biology program implemented? Are you monitoring biology? Talk, tell us about biology. Oh, oh, bi biology. Um, so I go out on my farm every day. And if I see something I've never seen before, I know I'm doing it right. Okay. Um, and so life, we are absolutely filled to the brim with life. And Christina and I try to find new ways of incorporating plants and animals into our farm. You yeah. do that, everything else behaves itself, right? Yeah. That's that's when everything else starts to fall into line. Your soil carbon, your microbiology, all of these other things. Um, the balance, yeah. And it it took us, you know, almost, well, this is our eighth growing season. And for the farm to, I mean, year four seemed like it was really pivotal on our farm as far as just watching things change. It's almost as though it was healing itself from, yeah. from decades of, of oh, chemical yeah. use and things oh, like yeah. this and fertility. Year eight, I don't know, man, but it seems like the farm is just humming this year. We That's had good. all of our hives, almost all of our beehives for the first time ever survived the winter. That's wow. never happened before. Um, and and life is just bursting out of every seam on this place. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's my biology program. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I'm watching programs natural, natural biology. It's totally. Yeah. No, no. I don't. I I don't need to be feeding anything in there. Plants and animals are an awfully powerful tool. Yeah. Well, tell the folks where you're at. I know it's South Dakota. Tell us, tell us where we're at. Yeah, uh, I'm north of uh, Brookings, South Dakota, north of Sioux Falls, about an hour. Okay. Um, right in Dual County, which is one of the lowest population centers in the country, um, where we have Ecdysis Foundation is housed here. We shoot out scientific teams all over the continent. And uh, how close and is that to your location at Blue Dasher there? How close is that? What, the Dices? Yeah. It's on Blue Dasher. Oh, so it's, it's on. Okay. That was a whole idea behind the whole okay. thing was that the scientists have to be farmers. And so That's Blue Dasher Farm is the is sort of the training ground for the next generation of scientists. That's perfect. That is awesome. I mean, how else can we? give advice on 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 how to 
on what people should be doing if if we haven't experienced it ourselves you know no, that's how great... else can we ask the questions that need to be asked you know we don't give a ton of advice that we come up with ourselves we give advice based on what we're learning from the farmers the farmers are the experts here yeah yeah and and then you know then folks like you get grant money which you've received a lot rightfully so because you've got this structure you talked about from your you know i didn't mean you just threw everything away from college but you got the mindset on how to set up a a a legitimate test protocol mm-hmm. and do this protocol and you get funding and so tell us what are some of the things you're being funded to do if you can't if you're allowed to talk about them what are you being funded to do uh we're one trick pony uh the thousand farms initiative it's a really big pony yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's, a deal. it's it's the largest agricultural experiment that's ever been tried perfect um we are trying to, we're essentially conducting science on a continental scale. Thousands of farms across North America have registered to be a part of this study. And what it is, is grassroots science that's intended to empower the farmer. That's awesome. Uh, we're, we are, um, we're, we're trying to see, does regenerative agriculture really deliver on the promises that it makes? in terms of climate change uh, and carbon sequestration, water reversal of desertification, uh, increasing life, reducing pollution, increasing rural communities and farm resilience, nutrient density of the foods. We're measuring all of those things on each of these farms across North America. That's awesome. Yeah, really powerful what we've already been able to generate. It's good. Yeah, I mean, you're a former scientist, I would have spent a career mining that database. Yeah, what year are you on this? Like year three now? Year two. Year two, okay. Kinda, I mean, we really got started in earnest last year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I can proudly say that I have, I've been added to their list and- uh, Next week. Next week, they're gonna be on the farm. I I can't wait. Jonathan's not gonna be there, but that's okay. That's all right. I'll be in New York. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. We can't. So, I wish I could be everywhere, but oh yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't. So no. don't forget, folks. If you got questions, now's the time. You got the man on on the on the screen here. There's Lumila again. Uh, what do you think about KNF style IPMO indigenous pest management organisms, local native? Uh, you can. Into intimento, you can you can pronounce that word collected and propagated on farm in order to control Japanese beetles or grasshoppers on crops. Um, boy, I don't know a lot of the details of the of KNF indigenous pest management organism. Sounds like it's within line of of regenerative agriculture. It's a, I, if I understand it correctly, it's trying to take advantage of of the of the critters that are on your farm um and and giving them or promoting the the entomopathogens which are insect diseases whoa i got a fly crawling on my screen uh, there's <laughs> your, my camera fly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so that's right in line with uh, kind of what we're thinking if you if you increase life on your farm and biodiversity be it in all of its different facets, it tends to lead to uh, 
yeah, reduced pests. That's kind of what got me into this whole thing to begin with, to be honest. Yeah. Meeting farmers that were saying that they didn't have pest problems. And uh, I said, well, that can't be. And they said, well, come on out and take a look. And yeah. They weren't even focusing on insects anymore. They were just focusing on soil health. And they found that one of the byproducts of that was, was lack of pests. What did you see on your place as you were transitioning? I saw uh, in years one, two, and three, terrible outbreaks of armyworm, black cutworm, aphids, thing, you know, everything you could think of. Now, can't tell you the last time I saw one. So, Is that right? Yeah. I mean, once you keep the, the health up, the diversity up, I think diversity is probably uh, the number one driving force. You've got to have, and it's got to be multiple facets of diversity. It's yeah. just not diversity with cover crops. It's diversity with cash crops. It's, it's diversity with annuals and perennials. And, I mean, it's just all kinds of diversity that I'm probably going to move that to the top. I've always had, uh, when I look at the six principles of soil health, I've always looked at disturbance as number one, and yeah. then I think diversity is number two. I probably need to flip those because I really think that diversity is, is the driver. Yeah. They're hand in hand, though. The disturbance removes your diversity, doesn't it? Yes. And so it's, they're two sides of a coin. Yeah. But yeah. both, yeah, super important. I don't think we'll ever reach the potential of a farm without it being like this hyper diverse habitat. No. no. So mean, you saw it, it took what you said, three years or something for a transition? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think you'd do differently now if you had to do it again? Uh, I would rely less on cereal rye, but I thought I had to. And honestly, Jonathan, I probably, I probably moved the number of acres that we've got. I probably moved too fast, too many acres, too yeah. fast. And that's not, that's not, uh, that should not be, uh, in, in, you know, allowed because you cannot jeopardize because I could have jeopardized the whole farm here because if the whole thing would have gone south on me, woo, we would have been in some big trouble. Yeah. So you've got to go slow, slower than I did, but I, I saw the benefits and I could not wait to get the farm all the way there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard, right? I mean, it's easy to get excited and all of that. And then suddenly you're kind of this position of, yeah, I think, yeah, for us on our own farm, we, we tend to, we, we break into a system kind of for a few years, like, and, yeah. and test it out and then scale yeah. it up from oh, there. Yeah. I think that that's, yeah, that seems to make a lot of sense. Now, you asked me too, what else I would have changed? And here's the other thing I would change. And I, I was probably a little arrogant here because um, I thought we would build biology as we started taking these inputs away and and that's true you do don't don't get me wrong here you're building biology but if i was to start all over again i would have a systematic biology program running <coughs> excuse me parallel to the systematic regenerative approach that we've got in place and we would have gotten to where we needed to be on what i'm going to call a a healthier soil much quicker if we would have had some help from some outside biology. Now that's that's the only other thing I would have changed, but I'm with you. I see it today 
where I add some of these bio, hey, you got to try this, Rick, you got to do this. And we try and we don't see any improvement because we've got the biology in the soil. Yeah. So what do you think as far as um, the way to get that biology in? Would it be so we've been trying to learn from farmers all over as far as because they're developing successful systems in regenerative Mm -hmm. ag. But. Uh, how they get there. I mean, they're trying everything under the sun. Oh, yeah. One of the thoughts that kind of came to my mind was, uh, what do you think about like letting it rest and grazing it for a year or two? Is that a way to generate that biology, do you think? Or is it something that has to come from outside? No, no. I think you could do either one. Now, uh, we've got uh, people on this tonight that need to come in here. We're in the part of the conversation that's right up some people's alley here on this biology. I hope they come on and, and start uh, giving us their opinions here. But no, I think, I think livestock, if you want to grow soil health the, most, the quickest and the most efficient way, you have to introduce livestock. Is yeah, my I think so. It, it has to. Yeah. You know, can you do it on every acre? Maybe not. Okay, that's fine. Then maximize what benefits you can out of the acres that you can get them on. Yeah. And then yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and then I think you bring a, a a biological program along on the on the backside on those acres that you can't get livestock to. So yeah. I you know, after seeing a lot. Uh, especially of degraded ground in certain areas where, you know, honestly, maybe cropland isn't the answer for that particular piece of ground. Maybe yeah. maybe introducing a perennial pasture system that's real diverse and, and thinking of a different approach to generating revenue off of that piece of ground might, might make a little bit more sense, especially as it's, if I mean, you know, there's places that are pretty arid in the U.S. right now that just need a rest. Yeah. We've yeah. been we've been tapping into it for a long, long time. Yeah, and we're doing a lot of things that are just absolutely mass destruction to the soil profile. And, that, and you yeah. just, I just don't think you can continue to do that. Yeah, I think yeah, there's areas that certainly would benefit from that. But and we're seeing we might be able to actually tease that out from our experimental design because we've yeah, got rangelands from all over. I mean, your your database is going to be is going to be huge, and it's going to oh. be critical and you're going to be able to query you know so many different things and you know oh it's going to be great i mean how long is this project running for uh until it's done but it's going to probably peak over the next couple of years okay so get your farms registered now for it and then our hope is that you know as the as as our sort of core uh you know deployment of uh of scientific teams to each of these farms kinds of starts to wane down a little bit. Um, What our hope is, is that we'll be sending out, relying on on citizen science in that case. And and so sending out to each farmer that wants one, a a box of supplies and gear that they can can monitor their own place. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I think it could be really, I mean, and the thing about it is we're not, we're not selling anything, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're we're giving this data away. It's all going to be open access to the public, all anonymized. But yes, and then every farmer is getting about seven thousand five hundred bucks worth of free information about their field. So, 
much different mentality than what you normally see. So many people are trying to make money off of farmers these Thank days. Thank you. Thank and you. Thank it's you. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we got some questions piling up here, but I want to go back to something you said earlier. You know, you, you said something that you're exactly right. And I never really thought about this until about a year ago. Maybe we shouldn't be trying to grow corn where corn shouldn't be grown, you know? And maybe we shouldn't be trying to grow soybeans where soybeans shouldn't be grown. And I've kind of come to that realization in the last year or so. I mean, we're up to about nine or 10 crops now that we're trying to, you know, work and see how we can make these things work. And I'm gonna tell you right now, Jonathan, I think corn, corn might be on the way out for me because it just doesn't like my system. Yeah. And you know, and you know what? If it doesn't like my system, then then fine. Let's find a crop that does. Yep, that's right. You got to adapt, right? And I get it, right? Corn is uh, arguably easy, right? You know, you, it, there are certain predictable results that you're going to get, and you know where it's going to get sold at yeah. the end of the year. Um, yeah. But man, I'd rather be selling my seed by the pound than by the bushel, uh, and and on, I mean, Blue Dasher is 53 acres, and there's a lot of new farms that are getting started just because land prices are ex ex exorbitant right now. Yeah. They're getting started on less than 100 acres, and they're wondering how they can, you know, have their family be be supported on that. You aren't going to do that with corn and beans. No. You're just not. No. Uh, so uh, we've got to be thinking outside the box right now, for sure. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's let's go to the tape here. Let's see what we've got. Um, John Hume, I think we've already kind of answered this. How constant or consistently do you need to have livestock incorporated annually, biannually? We've kind of talked about that. So let's just stay there for a second, Jonathan. I, uh, you've already mentioned uh, sheep. Are these haired sheep or are they wooled sheep? Yeah, we have hair sheep. On our so cattle, dorpers. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we kind of lost track of the genetics. We let them loose and, and they have to survive. Um, and so it, it, our, our sheep are so damn dialed in at this point to this farm that it's it's hard to introduce a ram in um, yeah. because they don't do well. We have to really babysit that ram for a whole year before they kind of start hitting it on all, on all cylinders. Really? really? And I go through the, so we've got plants hundreds and hundreds of species of plants on our farm and uh people are always like well you can't have this plant in there i'm like you know what i do is i go to the the university recommendations of what plants not to feed your sheep those are the ones that my sheep like the best they go there first milkweed choke cherry all of these things that are oh god you got to clean the farm up yeah no those those plants actually have really important properties for our flock that um, that they need. But you're, they're right. If you were grain feeding your sheep or they were just used to a brome pasture, they're not going to adapt well to those species. No. So we no. have to really be selecting for animals for our farm. Yeah, we're trying to do the same thing here. And I, you know, I'm I'm using a term called epigenetics and. We're trying to keep the genetics intact within the, the flock. And we're actually we're actually pulling our sires out of this year's off, you know, this year's 
babies will become the the sires for the herd for this breeding season. And we only breed ours. We only breed ours once for one one crop a year. Um, you know, and if I was going to maybe do anything different here, being in the Midwest, I might turn it from instead of a spring-born, uh, uh, I mean a uh, yeah a, a spring-born uh, flock, I may go to a fall. Uh, oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, just because of the um, uh, parasites. Ah, okay. So, have you been? Have you heard anything about like selecting genetics for for uh, parasite resistance? Is that? No, I mean, well, Ray, Ray Archland and I have talked about it a little bit, but nothing in detail. Yeah. Go ahead, lay, lay it on me. Well, there's some people that say, you know, if or animal or something, and you're you have the flexibility of selecting which ones are going and which ones are staying. You might can. Boy, my dad. Whenever I go, he attracts every mosquito in the whole forest, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, we do do that. If we see one that gets scoury or, or is always sick, well, that, that animal leaves the farm. And, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll we, bet you're selecting for them then. I'll bet you're. Well, we might be and didn't realize we were. So, yeah. 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 We certainly that, have on ours. Yeah. With cattle over the years, you know, there's always you, you you get a herd of cattle, and there's always four or five that are covered in flies. Yeah, and nobody else has got so those four or five leave, and the flies leave. It's just amazing. And that's something you, you watch for what Mother Nature is signaling to you. You pay, wake up, mm-hmm. pay attention, and and let 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 her do her thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree. And we, uh, Ryan Schmidt, he's one of our scientists here on staff. He did a project where he looked at um, ivermectin use, you know, like morons and stuff like that mm-hmm. versus good man, well, good management, you know, rotational grazing, planned grazing systems. Yeah. He's like, and then he looked at the parasite loads in the animals and the, the, the mop grazing worked just as well as any ivermectin did and and all of those morons were yeah well there must be kickbacks after kickbacks going to different places to prescribe all that junk oh yeah and then i'm assuming that and i'm not the biologist here but i'm assuming that ivermectin is moving through their system out their back end is as poop yeah. and urine and then that's hitting the ground and killing whatever biology yeah. is in that area right it's making the problem worse yeah 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 because it kills all the dung beetles off in the pat. And there's some evidence that dung beetles are actually attracted to ivermectin in the pat. So it's like this, uh, yeah. And then they get hammered by it. So it's a bad wow. deal. Um, Andre, Andre, I hear farmers talking about spraying dramoxone as a better alternative to Roundup. Do you agree it's better for biology of the soil? <laughs> mm. Hmm. What's gramoxone? Let me look it up here quick. Do you know what it is off the top of your head? I think it's Paraquat. <laughs> oh my God. Skull and oh my God. It is. It's Paraquat. Yeah. That that stuff is worse than glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah. I mean, it's a known carcinogen, right? I mean, we just, we've known that for years. Yeah. decades that this stuff was awful yeah for the soil for us as humans i mean this is this is toxic stuff yeah it's ridiculous that we're 
like but putting it there. He's right though. There are farmers switching thinking that I know. It's it's insane. And I, I think don't quote me on this, but I think there are people now using it for desiccation instead of gramoxone. I've heard that too. So I've heard that too. It's yeah, that's yeah. Brace yourselves. Yeah. Because the the implications of that are going to be felt throughout throughout human families for generations. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? I have not taken a, uh, I, I found a doctor locally that is a uh, holistic type doctor, which I think everyone should, try, yeah. everyone should try to find one of those. I mean, it's all about supplements and, and good diet and, and health and exercise. But if you need Western, if you get to the point where you need Western medicine, we'll, we'll do it. But that's, mm-hmm. that's on the back burner. I wish everyone could find a doctor like that. But, you know, they, they, they're just they've got this test. I need to run this test and it, it will see, I think it's like, uh, I think it's like checking for like 85 different herbicides, pesticides, and, and all these things that could be in your body. Yeah. And I, it's like 300 bucks. And, and I need to probably take this test and just see where my levels come back. Now I've not been around this stuff for, Oh, we're going on 10, 11 years now. So, I don't know. Maybe my levels hopefully would be low. I hope. You hope. The problem is, is that we're really immersed in it right now on a landscape level, and and yes, there's steps that we absolutely need to take in terms of you know just growing our own food yeah. and knowing our farmers and things like this. But yeah, uh, at the same time, you know, I mean, we did work on neonicotinoids, which are insecticidal seed treatments and uh, looked at organic farms versus conventional farms. We planted a bunch of pollinator strips there and then saw, looked in the nectar and the, and the pollen in order to see whether or not those were contaminated. Oh, yeah. And the organic farm had just as high a level as the, as the conventional farm did, even wow. though it hadn't seen any treatment whatsoever. <laughs> the stuff gets in the water and it's getting in the soil and it's getting into us. Um, and you know what really burns my ass on that one is where show me the the if everyone's concerned about yield then show me where those improve yield to use neonicotinoids. Yeah, somebody's selling them a load of crap, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. We had uh, so all of the a number of the farmers in the county started calling last was it two years ago, and. Uh, they're like, yeah, we gotta spray. We gotta spray our soybeans. You know, the uh, the local ag uh, 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 consultant had been driving around and looking at the beans and said the bean leaf beetles and spider mites were bad, so they needed yeah. to spray. And we have bees, so they were going to warn us. I'm like, well, thank you. You know, we have some entomologists on staff. Could we take a look? Yeah. And they're like, uh, go ahead, go ahead. We looked in there, you know, there was a few pests, but they were nowhere near the treatment threshold, right? Yeah. And they were being, these, these farmers were being lied to. And they were like, well, you, you mean, you mean, uh, I should trust you? You, you, don't, you think you know more than my uh, crop consultant does? And I'm like, listen, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I'm not selling you anything. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the neighbor on the hill, he didn't spray. Um, I, it, it saved him several thousand dollars. 
next week after that, uh, EPA announced that they were banning chlorpyrifos. Yeah. And uh, I think that these companies got wind of it. They had shelves full of it and they were just trying to push it out the door. Ah, yeah. They were lying to the farmers. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, I can remember back in the day when we were using a, a retail plant and I can remember those conversations. Well, Rick, it's only $2 an acre. Let's just pour a pyrethroid in and let's go. Then yep. you know you won't have, okay, you know, nobody knows any better. Okay. Right. That sounds like an insurance policy to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, I know we got some questions piled up, but I want to stay right here where we are. I mean, Jonathan, I cannot, I mean, right now I can see planes flying often out my window here. The, the amount of fungicide that's going on right now is insane. It's insane. Yeah. It's really wrong. Uh, all for greed. It's oh. Greed. But what, tell us what it's doing. I mean, it's a fungicide, so it's killing all the fungi, right? Right. So all of those beneficial microorganisms in your soil, it's hammering those. It's hammering all of the symbioses that are going on on your plants that are increasing their productivity. It's getting into you, and wow. it's affecting your microbiome. Yeah. And, uh, and that microbiome influences just about everything else in your life hormone levels, uh, who you fall in love with, you know, what foods you can eat and can't eat, what time you wake up, the microbiome is dictating that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so as we immerse ourselves in, in, in my, yeah, antimicrobials, uh, yeah. No and, wonder why we're experiencing what we are. And we can't get away from it. Just like you just said, we are totally organic. We use none of that stuff and we cannot get away from it because everyone around us has just got to surround it. Yeah, but that's where it starts though, right? It's when farmers are brave enough like you to actually make a change. Yeah. And, and yeah, your community may ostracize you for, at least at first, but I uh, think you're crazy, but they're watching. Oh, they, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got to get personal for them, and then they don't want to change, I guess. That's true. That's exactly right. And, you know, I, I you, you think about things, and and when I started down this journey, and, and the family, can, you know, we're all together here, this journey we're on, and you start, you stop and think about, you know, okay, I had an uncle that died of cancer. I had a, a, a sister-in-law died of cancer. I have a nephew that was 22 or three when he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, you know, uh, diabetes in the family. I mean, there's got to be an underlying reason why. And it's, it's, the, it's the way we farm. I mean, we cannot get away from this stuff. It's also the answer though too, isn't it? Yeah. It's the answer to all of those problems. And that's empowering and that's really hopeful. Yeah. I, uh, so we've had two field days. That's part of a thousand farms is year two when we break into a new area and we start meeting the community and listening to farmers. Um, we start to expand our relationships within each farming community by the second year, you know, reaching out to new folks and, and having a field day. And so we invite the farmers out and, uh, and, um, it's a wonderful experience. We show them exactly what we're doing out there. You know, they all get to participate in collecting some of the info and putting sweet nets in a bunch of farmers' hands is really always a wonderful experience. Um, 
but I asked them, you know, like, okay, who has uh, family members or in your community that has, you know, allergies and jaw? Uh, and then, uh, oh, how about auto, you know, food intolerances like celiac and stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, how about, you know, uh, other autoimmune diseases or autism? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about, how about kids? Anybody having trouble having kids? And the room always gets silent. What are we doing to ourselves? Uh, the infertility rates in farming communities are going up and up. What the, are we doing? The silence is deafening, isn't it? Yeah. There is. The silence of the no longer ignorant. Yeah. What do uh, you do? Yeah. But that means that the food system is our answer. And when farmers are brave enough like you to do something about it, man, uh, we're just a bunch of goofy scientists in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota, but we're good at science and we're going to use that to empower folks as much as we can and, and help you guys know that you're the heroes that you are. Well, that's awesome. I, I just love the work you're doing. I just love it. So we got questions here. Let's, uh, Simeon's on, Simeon, uh, Simeon Kleinsasser, a friend of mine from Tennessee, inferro applications of compost extract seem to be the most efficient and effective to add biology. Yeah, total. I don't think you disagree with that. No, and we're starting to look at that more. Uh, I mean, we've got enough observation points now that we should be able to start teasing out the benefits of, of sort of seed treatments of, of uh compost teas and stuff like that. So that'll be an interesting outcome of the experiment, sure. Yeah, see, I still think one day, I think we're doing it now, Jonathan, we don't realize it. I think we're gonna sit down with someone like you or from someone from your team, and you're gonna have like 10 questions. And, and out of those 10 questions, you're gonna talk about, you know, what are your farming practices? Uh, what's, you know, we need to do soil testing. We need to know what your fertility levels are. What what are the three weed problems that you're experiencing? What, what's your cash crop rotation? And then we're going to be able to put together a, a cocktail of certain species of plants and a cocktail of biology that will then take care of all of those, those problems you have, because we're going to create those environments where those, that giant ragweed does not want to germinate in. I mean, that's what this is all about. Yeah. You know, I don't know that it's about a product at the end of the day either. I think it's, it's, you know, the plant diversity and allowing that to kind of run its course on your farm. Uh, really, really important and getting different species of animals out there. Yeah. Boy, those are powerful tools. The microbes really behave themselves when you, yeah. when you've got the right milieu of species out there. So, you know, you got to think, uh, when you when the when the when the nature that's in your area comes on, I mean that's got to be beneficial, right? I mean I know the deer can be destructive and whatnot. Oh, absolutely. But, but I mean, they're a foot, they're a hoof print out there helping. So, turkeys. absolutely having wildlife up on the farm is yeah, I mean, that's wonderful, and it comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes too, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah, um, from bugs all the way up. <laughs> that's right. Um, People don't think of insects as as uh, as wildlife, but boy, you know, all of those native pollinators so so important. And oh. even things like grasshoppers, you know, um, really important. We think of the bison as being 
you know, these large ruminants that really dictated the prairie. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the locust plagues were as influential, I would say, as anything. I mean, the, they, they would come through and really have a, a tremendous impact on the, on the plant communities of the prairie. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what was the gentleman's name at U of I when, when, uh, when you were there was, uh, he, he's, there's, he's come to the farm. I, I, I'm, I'm losing his name here. Who would have been one of your teachers there? An entomologist. An entomology that would have come to your farm? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I don't know. I don't you know who that would have been. There really isn't, there wasn't a ton of insect, applied insect ecology out there. Okay. He was, he would have been on the farm about four years ago. Hmm. Uh, oh, maybe somebody knew then. He would know. This I'm an old was, man, you know, I'm pretty, I've got one foot in the grave and on the other oh, on a banana peel. Come on. You're not that old. <laughs> no, this was an older gentleman, probably in his seventies. Um, he kind of came out, not retirement, but he, he heard about an event on our farm and he was so close, he came over and he was absolutely blown away by what he saw on our farm. I cannot okay. remember what his name was. Golly, I wonder who it was. I'll look through some old emails, but anyway, that's that's for that's not for right now. I'll look through some old emails and figure it out and I'll let you know. Um, Lute Meyer has got another question. Is there a meta transcriptomic aspect in your 1000 farms mega project so um we're characterizing the life on these farms pretty comprehensively at the end result i mean already we have an invertebrate collection that's rivaling you know museum level collections uh, of our food system it'll be probably the best one in existence uh, all housed here on the farm um, we're getting a soil archive of the nation's soils, and we're keeping that so we can go back to each of these GPS locations in 25 years or something and see how things have changed. Yeah. We're getting uh, plant DNA. Uh, we're getting uh, we're, that we're sequencing for identification of those plant communities, bird inventories of these different, um, and as well as bioacoustic recordings from each of these fields so we can identify all of the critters that are making noises out there. Oh, perfect. Um, and then we're also characterizing the microbial communities of the soil. So, so far we've identified uh, between nine and 10,000 species of bacteria and fungi from the soils of our country. Uh, and we're using PLFA analysis, phospholipid fatty acid. It's a little molecule in the cell wall that helps to distinguish the different uh, uh, functional groups. And then we're actually sequencing these things too yeah. on, on a small level. So. so you've got a DNA sequencer. Well, we farm it out uh, just because other people can do it so much more quickly and cheaply than we can. But we, we, have, a, yeah. we have the capability of extracting DNA and amplifying it on, on, on the farm here. So we have a That's awesome. PCR machine. This, I mean, this, Folks, this is money well spent. Whatever you're getting is not enough. But this money is going to end in results that are going to mean something that we can collate, extract, query, pressure test, whatever you want to call it. And yep. you, you can run God knows how many scenarios against the database you're going to have. It's going to be huge. Yeah, this is going to be huge. And it's also being conducted from the standpoint of the farmer. 
And so, and, and so like, for example, with invertebrates, you know, insects and their kin, um, very difficult to identify these things, right? There's a ton of diversity out there, but there are a lot of them are little black natty looking things yeah. that are very challenging to identify. So what we're doing really for the first time is um, developing artificial intelligence and image recognition uh -huh. to be able to identify the invertebrates of our food system in North America. It's already about 70% accurate when we feed in a specimen. Yeah. Uh, and what'll happen is then farmers will be able to take a sweep net out, take a photo with their phone, and then our uh, algorithms will be able to identify the diversity oh. and possibly even the species that you're that you're encountering on your farm. I can't wait because won't I'm that be won't that be cool? And just like I, I keep on saying it, but totally empowering for the farmer. Yeah. You can monitor your own farm. You're not beholden to you know some service that's going to charge you a bundle yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I think I think Lou Mila, I think he answered your question with a definite yes. That is a that, that is going to be meta, mega. Yeah. All right. Uh let's see. Matt, and I apologize. I don't know why, but my chat window does not give me the all of the last names. So all I'm seeing is Matt. I am in far south Indiana, 350 acres of corn and soybeans. I cold turkey transition to no-till, no seed treatments, no fungicide, and cover crops two and a half years ago. Previously, the farm was heavily tilled and every chemical applied. I could not find a worm on the farm. I have many questions. How do I get ecdysis down to my farm? Thanks, Matt. Uh, I'm putting the website in right now. Register your farm uh there and we'll get it into the we'll get it into the work stream as, as much go. as we can hey uh, it really i want to interrupt you i want to interrupt you real quick now you guys are in southern illinois now or indiana now right he, he uh i don't know how far south so yeah if you get your farm in it may be possible that we can see it this I year think... but my guess is it'll be next year okay all right but i think your crew right now is around evansville i think i was yeah yeah, yeah, it sounds like there's a sort of a subgrouping down there. Uh, what really helps elevate your chances of getting a team out there is whether or not we can get sort of clusters of about 20 farms that because logistically this experiment is just a nightmare. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, you can't imagine trying to, I mean, we have teams of eight scientists that we kind of send to each farm. And so logistically, it's very challenging. Yeah. And, um, but it really helps when farmers start to get themselves organized. Yeah. Well, you know, and. Oh, you registered two years ago. Okay. Well, that would have been at the beginning of 2022. And I wonder if, so Matt, nobody's tried to reach out to you yet. I'm assuming. No, uh, we'll, we'll do our best to try to get down there, but yeah, yeah. Go to, get some neighbors to start registering and that'll help a lot. This is our first, uh, we were in Northern Indiana last year. We're starting to move South. It's when you think about like a game of risk, you know, the board game or whatever with the maps of the world and, you know, you got to move all your troops around it. Yeah. This is like a game of risk on, on crack. It's, it's crazy trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to conquer this continent with our, with 35 scientists from South Dakota? 
you've got a heck of a lot more going on there than just than just what you've been talking about. I'll tell you that you've got FedEx and UPS on the ropes there. Yeah, yeah, we we give a lot of money to the UPS. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and the uh, airlines and rental car companies. And oh yeah, well, Matt, we own a whole fleet of crappy of, minivans. Our east of Evansville, so okay, not too far away then. I, boy, I wonder. We'll have to see. Maybe there, maybe it'll be possible to get over there. Yeah, yeah, and I can't see uh, Jonathan. I can't see his last name. Can you see it, Matt? I can't. Matt Lorenz, I, it says. Okay, Matt Lorenz. All right. Well, Matt, Jonathan's team will look for your name, Matt, and uh, somehow they've missed missed your uh, registration. So don't worry. Uh, you've heard it from the man here. They'll get to your farms. It may not be this year, but it'll be for sure next year. So. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just a lot. We're just yeah. yeah, we're finally coast to coast though this year. So we'll be in New York and Vermont, and then we started out west. We've been creeping our way along uh, the Canadian border, and uh, this next year we'll be shooting out all the way down to hopefully Florida. We'll see how life treats us, but that's see, our goal. I think what's going to be so cool about this is you're going to find you're going to find, and let's just pick a couple of uh, of elements. Let's talk about like maybe uh, sodium or aluminum or something, okay? And you're going to find pockets of the U.S. that are high in sodium and the plants react a certain way. And then you're going to go to spots that are low in sodium and high in yeah. aluminum, for example, and they react, the plants react in a totally different manner. Yep. Uh, yep. And so uh, does regenerative agriculture work no matter what you where you live and what you grow? And uh, it should stand up to that. So far, it totally is. Last year, we were able to demonstrate on a national level that the most regenerative farms had more than a percent uh, more organic matter than the conventional farms did, which doesn't sound like a lot. It's like, oh, 1% in soil carbon or whatever. That offsets most of our na nation's carbon emissions. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that holds 20,000 gallons of water per acre. Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 reverses desertification it, it it yeah yeah it's amazing what we've been able to show already yes yeah this is going to be huge and i'm, I'm so life is through the roof yeah and the other thing is everybody's talking about carbon right now in five years because of this study they're not going to talk about carbon they're going to be talking about life yeah because if you grow life on your farm carbon behaves itself yeah and life is the thing you can control right as a yeah. farmer or you can you can you can never control a farm, but you can nudge it in certain ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just crazy. I mean, what? And I'm honored to be part of it. So it's going to be this is going to be huge. And again, like I said, this is money well spent. So yeah, so I look at some of these other things. Sometimes you'll see like grant announcements that were made, and it's like, oh, twenty three million dollars to inventory the nation's soils or whatever. I'm like. $23 million, where did that money go? Yeah. Where does the yeah. money go? Because yeah. I can tell you right now that we're gathering an inventory of the nation's soils as well as everything else in these fields, and it doesn't cost us 23 million bucks. Uh -uh. And, you know, that's the other thing I love about what you're doing, Jonathan. You are you're training the next level of you, the next people of you, 
to go out, I'm assuming then when this project's over, they will probably disperse and start their own gig somewhere, right? The diaspora from McDyces will be a community that that fuels the future of science and agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's that's been something I didn't predict when I was going getting into this is the impact. And so last year uh, I did something different, and because you know in this movement there's leaders and you know we all get on stage and we and we give our stump speeches and we we move around the country and stuff but this last year what i did is i gave the microphone over to the staff and a lot of them are you know recent college graduates and stuff like that and i just said say your name where you're from and something that you experienced this year share a story from the road yeah almost every one of them had seen a dust storm yeah uh every one of them had stories of hope and uh and yeah that's what's so exciting is that this next generation yeah. isn't taking this lying down no. they're thinking outside the box and they're going to fix this well and they're almost mad at us for getting it in this in the shape it's in i don't know i don't know if it, it, the people that i work with aren't mad they just want to get shit done yeah they're tired of this yeah yeah, this is awesome. I mean, this. Okay, let me ask. Okay, so let. Are you finding that there's any any schools in particular where these kids are coming? I mean, do you see do you see a repetition here? Is it parts of the country? Is it certain people, or are they just coming from everywhere? You know, they're everywhere. Uh, we, I don't really even advertise anymore. We just get yeah. people applying, and uh, and they move to South Dakota, and then we 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 put them to work and it's been really amazing to watch that happen you know a lot of my colleagues at universities or at the usda they're really struggling to find um to find helpers during the summer it's like boy we don't we really i don't experience that you gotta turn them away <laughs> yeah we do yeah totally do. um Ed Bourgeois is on almost every week. How you doing, Ed? I think, Ed, I think we've answered your question. What are the variety of data being collected? He's doing all kinds of data. This is going to be, this is going to be fantastic. And then Keith put your Blue Dasher uh, uh, website on oh, yeah. for August the 12th. Thank you. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, we're going to screen that common ground. Oh, wait, so at the field day, they're going to let us screen it. So we're inviting a couple of the other South Dakotans that are in it. And they'll be the, the stars of that. Oh, good, good. Come on out. We've served lamb chops at our field day. How many people do that? Ooh, not I've I've never experienced that. I love lamb chops. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll have to. I may uh, August the twelfth. Ooh, uh, I might be able to make that. We'll see. We'll see. Really? Be, oh, that'd be great. Well, be we'll close. be. Yeah. I got something before and something after, so we'll see. Maybe I can make it. Well, I'll uh, treat you well if you come. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so John wants to know, John Hume, he had the he had the question about glyphosate or, or uh, gramoxone. Now he's asking, how bad is glyphosate for soil biology? Um, it, it's it's hard on biology. So it, what it, it's an antimicrobial. And so it, it kills a, a number of the species of bacteria and fungi that live in the soil. And, and then it also affects us because 
and things like honeybees and stuff too, that all, most organisms, you know, I hate to say it, but we're whack, walking sacks of bacteria. Um, and that bacteria has a pretty important impact on our health and behavior. And uh, so glyphosate really affects those things. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, and it lasts for fairly long time too within the soil. We don't really know what a lot of its metabolites do. So, I mean, just the molecule of glyphosate lasts for a certain amount of time, um, but then uh, it, the, the metabolites of glyphosate sometimes are equally or more toxic to certain organisms. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a cascading effect for years. Yeah, and we've got to remember, go back to the six principles of soil health and and minimize disturbance and they're not only just talking about soil with machinery yeah. they're talking about chemical disturbance here as well sure. so and you know what you know i mean we think of all the sides right as those chemical disturbance but fertilizer is a pretty big disturbator too yeah yeah it's you know it, it's hard it's hard jonathan it's hard what we're trying to do here we're trying to be organic we're trying to take everything away i mean this is hard i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say it any other way this is hard but at the end of the day when when things go like you want them to go and you can sit back and you can say you know we did it mother nature's way now are we going to win a yield contest no way and i i, I don't want to win a yield contest no no I want to I want to carry this on for the next generation. I want them to be healthy. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, Simeon. Simeon's got what DNA method are you using to analyze the soil? Are you testing for protozoa and nematodes? Uh, DNA method. We sequence of uh, let's see, it's the ribosomal genes within. Um, within bacteria. And I think it's the ITS2 gene within fungi. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then it goes into the magic, uh, you know, behind the curtain that the, um, that ends up where there's algorithms that help to generate bacterial and fungal diversity and stuff like that. So we're taking the raw sequences and we'll develop our own that we can then give to the farmers that aid in transparency on that. Um, the protozoa is a, one of the groups that we'll have. You know, we're not getting nematodes, and I wish we could, um, but hopefully their biodiversity and abundance um, will scale alongside many of the other organismal groups that we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. You know, people, you know, so many people want to, you say the word nematode, and it's automatically think that's a bad thing. No, yeah, it's totally, you know, not that at all. It's one of the yeah. more abundant groups of organisms on the planet. Yeah. We can't, we can't live without them. No, no, but everybody, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see here. We've Okay, there's your website, uh, ecdysis.bio. That's the, yep, that'll take you there. And then Blue Dasher was in earlier. That's great. Um Let's see, John, uh, I'm sorry if I apologize, War warmer dam, I hope I got that right, John. Uh, how does your ecdysis program been working out in California? I've been excited to see some of your information come out for our specific region, but we need all the help we can get to gather research to get folks excited about farming differently. Hmm. Uh, John, tell us if you would specifically where you're from, please, and go ahead, go ahead Jonathan. 
Yeah. Uh, so we've been working in uh, almonds in California, in the Central Valley, for the last three years. We have a three-year study. I have to get back out there and harvest some nuts. Uh, that'll be the end of the almond project in, in earnest. So when we got started out there, I have a graduate student who, whose name is Tommy Fenster. Um, he's currently getting a degree through UC Davis for his doctorate. Um, but when we got started, soil health and regenerative ag, those were dirty words. We were told <laughs> specifically, that won't work here by the almond board. They said that. And, and so we said, okay, then just get out of the way. <laughs> and we're, we're going to find some regenerative almond producers. And we scrounged, right? Yeah. We scrounged in order to find eight of them. And what we showed was that Tommy, for his master's, showed that that work is published now. And it showed just through the roof life on these farms, the, the, they were just as profitable. Um, they didn't use pesticides. They didn't, um, their carbon levels were increased. So they were a carbon sink as opposed to a carbon source, which was the, the, the conventionals. And we used that as a launching pad for, well, really the thousand farms. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, so we've expanded that work out over the last three years. We've deployed teams at Bloom um, and we've been, uh, so we're up to about 90 farms there and they're, they're spanning quite a range of production. At the Almond Field Day, two years ago, the first regenerative Almond Field Day, and remember where we started, there was yeah. 300 farmers at our oh, field. Wow. Day. Oh, wow. The Almond Board was there. There's four or five research experiments by local universities that are working on regenerative almond production. Way to go. And so that's the power of this. What we're trying to do is galvanize the, the local scientific community into realizing that this is a viable and important solution and that needs to be worked on from a different perspective than what they're normally working on on their experiment farms. See, and what I love about what you're doing, Jonathan, you've got, um, you know, I don't know if it's always just you, probably other, you've got experts to, you know, go to Central Valley and work on almonds. Then you're going to come to the Midwest and you're going to talk corn and soybeans. Then you're mm -hmm. going to go to the Delta and you're going to talk wheat, or I mean, I'm sorry, rice and cotton. Yep. You know, whatever, whatever, you know. You, you've got to look at this as a regionalized thing because you're not going to do the same thing in Central Valley that you're going to do in Iowa. And we yeah. need to understand that. Well, but the principles are there, oh, right? The and it seems like they're unifying no matter where, we're, where we are, right? That's in right. Soil. That's right. Um, you know, I was hired by USDA to be a soybean entomologist working on soybean aphids in South Dakota. Okay. How on earth are you going to solve the soybean aphid problem in South Dakota by completely compartmentalizing this? You know, and that's how we approach problems in agriculture is we compartmentalize it and focus on it. The yeah. Soybean aphid was never an entomological problem. Well, no. It's always a soils problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was always yeah. a soil health issue. See, that, that, I don't know how you even, I don't even know how you classify that as someone, your boss didn't, I, I don't know what that, I don't even know what that means. Does he not know what he's talking about or he just 
get Jonathan out of my hair and put him over here? I mean, what's that mean? Well, it means that that's how that's how academic science often happens, right? That's how you get the grants. The grants are fuel. What fuels the next cycle of research? So it's just it's nuts. This is nuts. You you have gone exactly in the opposite direction, and you're absolutely flooded with with people wanting your services and your knowledge. It's just it's so refreshing. So thank you, thank you. Who would have thought though? Huh? Talk about terrifying, right? I mean, it's probably akin to what you experienced when you were getting started. But yeah, you did it. You did the exact opposite of what everybody else told you was supposed to be happening. Yeah, but you felt it in your heart that this was yeah. the right thing to do. Well, that's right. That's right. So, so John, uh, again, Warmer Dam, uh, Central Valley Stone Fruits, if you know what that means, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's peaches and plums and things like that. Okay, all right, very. I didn't know what that meant. Okay, very good. So I don't know, John, if you were part of the thousand farms or not, uh, but it sounds like that uh, Jonathan's uh, almond uh, study is about over, right? You're about ready to to pull out. Yeah, we're in vineyards now, uh, and so we're going to be expanding into what we hope will be strawberries and tomato production there and possibly working with the dairy industry of California as well. So uh, there's will be a presence in, in California for many years to come, but the Almond Project is wrapping up, we're hoping, yeah. uh, at least winding down. We don't want to abandon our friends that we've been able to make down there, but at the same time, we right. the whole idea, Dysis isn't meant to be a permanent fixture in every eco-region of the country. It's meant to kind of come in and help to, Gandalf around the country and uh, stir the pot a little bit and generate really important data in order to, uh, you know, yeah, give these farmers the credit that they deserve. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Andre, again, I don't see everything. I I don't know your last name. Andre, does glyphosate have to be sprayed on the bees directly to affect them? No, it doesn't. Uh, So what ends up happening is... uh, Oftentimes the bees will eat it, and and then that's that's when it uh, kind of gets into the to the the honeybees. Um, also, you know some of that glyphosate is translocated through plants and stuff like that. Low levels of it throughout the environment, so yeah. it may not be toxic to the plants directly, but it ends up affecting their nutrition and it, uh, the pollen, the uh, the nutrition of the pollen. Maybe it's the quantity of nectar that's been um, that's being produced by the plants and and therefore it affects the honeybees that way yeah yeah it's horrible i've seen those pictures where they they get uh they get these pesticides on them and i mean it's just a horrible death for them it's just it's terrible yeah yeah um matt again apologize i don't see your last name matt two of the six principles are increasing diversity and minimizing disturbance in effort to increase diversity i'm increasing the number of species and cover crop blends but when doing that successful termination by roller crimping without herbicides has has evaded me i have managed nutrition and photosynthesis to successfully eliminate all insecticides and fungicides my goal is to get away from herbicides as quickly as possible with full no tillage. Any suggestions for how we eliminate herbicides in this environment? 
Um, plant competition with the right cover crop mixture. Uh, getting animals out there, I think, would be really important tool that a lot of farms are missing right now. Yeah, yeah. What do you well, think? What's a good answer for that? Yeah, I like your answer. I like the I like the animal integration. You got to have diversity with your cover crop packages, and I think you have to. I think you have to change the trigger of when certain weeds or certain pest problems want to occur. So, if you've got a foxtail problem like we have had you maybe move into a cereal grain because your foxtails usually come on later then you come in offset you know change that trigger point and introduce another cover crop right at that time when that foxtail might want to start rearing its ugly head so just things like that just looking at the, the triggers differently and, and moving them around and try to try to keep everything off guard a little bit yep i love those ideas yeah wow that's experience talking right there yeah yeah. Well, folks, we're, we got to be respectful. This is a very busy man. Uh, if you've got any questions now, right now is the time because we're going to wrap this up right now. Uh, so while if there are any questions coming in, that's great. But Jonathan, how take us home here. Um, you know, what, what do you think about are we in good hands here? Is everything going to be OK? What, what, what do you what do you think for the future? Five years. Five years. Uh... Yeah. So, number one, to answer your question, absolutely, we're going to be okay. There's a lot of hope right now. The farmers are changing the way that they're producing food yeah. um, at a scale that that has not been recorded, right? I mean, look back five years. Was regenerative ag even a term back then that you would, I, I mean, it was maybe getting started. We were using it, but we were wackos, right? And... Uh, now look at it. Uh, so in five years, you know, a thousand farms will be wrapping up hopefully in, in North America and we'll have, you know, we're, we're, our goal is to, you know, try to change, you know, 75,000 farms. But honestly, I mean, we had in the first year, 1200 farms ended up registering to be a part of the study. If you look at standard marketing conversion rates, uh, you know, 1% of a community that sees a, a link clicks on it and of yeah. that one percent one percent actually you know like does what it says to do yeah yeah we could have tens of thousands of regenerative farms in north america already that are operating under the radar screen that are doing wonderful things that's true so that's exactly uh, yeah we're watching the change happen that's the thing with this whole experiment, right? I mean, we're meeting on a continental scale. We're seeing a food system, a single group of scientists for the first time, really. Yeah. And we're intimately seeing it. We're getting our hands dirty and we're digging. Last year, we dug 20,000 soil probes, soil oh. cores by oh. hand. Uh, so, yeah, I blew out both my elbows, but uh, I'm back in the ring. Uh, so we're seeing this on an uh, intimate scale and we're meeting the change makers yeah. that are gonna save our place on this planet. Yeah. It's a wonderful story. And That's there's awesome. so much hope right now. Yeah. Yeah, we, oh, I love that. Thank you. That's, you just, this whole, this whole conversation has just been so refreshing. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the one thing that we didn't really get into, and I don't want to keep Jonathan much longer because he's he's tired, I'm tired. 
Um, but Jonathan and I are in a movie that's coming out uh, this fall. It's called Common Ground. It's the sequel to Kiss the Ground. And, and Jonathan and I are both very transparent in this movie of where we've, where we've been and where we're headed. So you're going to want to catch this movie. It's really good. Uh, I, I think it's great, not just because Jonathan and I are in it, but I think it's great because it explains what the problem is and then it has a solution. And so many times today, all you hear are people pounding the table. You've got to change, but okay, what's your plan? Well, I don't right. have a plan. We just got to change. Yeah. Well, no, this has a change. And, and that's what I like. Yeah, I do too. Do you think that's the right? The, the, yeah, the change. What's it going to take? What do you think? Uh, what, what do you think the answer is there? teaching like what you're doing it's got it's got to be teaching the folks have to i mean this is totally out of their wheelhouse they don't understand what farm green means they don't understand about reduction of how could i reduce inputs and still maintain yields they don't understand these things so teaching is the Are they ready to learn the, yeah i don't know if they're ready to learn not all of them are but you know what you know so many times jonathan we get hung up on we got to go, you know, if we want to make a change, we got to change everybody. I, I don't, I don't agree with that. We don't need to change everybody. You're not going to change everybody. Yeah. So pick a number that, that is reasonable and is reachable, 30%, 40%. Think what the changes would be if we change 40% of the acres on this planet. Yeah. That's huge. Profound. It'd be profound. Huge. Yeah. 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 So, Sometimes you don't always have to think about this as all or none. Um, yeah. A big, yeah. Well, I mean, it's an evolutionary process that we're watching right now. And yeah. evolution can be a pretty nasty thing to watch because <laughs> not everybody survives. That's right. And, um, and sometimes that's the way it's supposed to be, you know? Um, it's not easy, though. And so, you, yeah, I mean, we're here for to help when people want to learn, but you can't yeah. force them. Yeah. Uh, That's something I learned from the sheep. Oh, don't yeah. ever chase them. Don't ever oh, no. chase them. No, don't chase them. run faster than you can. That you, you lead sheep where you want them to go. You, you drive cattle and you lead sheep. So totally different. Totally yeah. Different. We, uh, the sheep know where they're supposed to go sometimes and you just nudge them in the right direction. And if they don't know where to go, then you stand by and you wait for them to find the right direction. Right. But you make sure they don't get any worse. Well, we've got a couple last quick comments here. Do you have an opinion on glufosinate? You're going to have to look that one up. Yeah, Kevin, no, that one's a, yeah, that one's a, <coughs> same, basically the same thing as glyphosate. Yeah. Yeah. Chemically, it's a cousin of glyphosate, but I think it gets a, a pass on concerns because it's relatively, uh, you know, no, it's not new. It's, it's as old as life. Well, maybe it's relative, I guess. But the yeah, the what is the, the trade name of it? I can't remember. But it's basically Roundup Ready. That uh, might be glufosinate. Might be Liberty. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Liberty. Liberty Link. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, John, they've been I, around. I, you got to stop all of it if you can. You got to find a way to just let it all go. You know. Yeah. It's all going to be detrimental. 
Uh, Brad is asking, how do you get senior farmers to see this as a good thing? That's mm. a good question. Um, you know, uh, there's other currencies that are operating right now in regenerative ag than just economic, yeah. right? Uh, there's family, there's, there's community. There's wanting to be a good neighbor. There's uh, wanting to be a good steward of the land. Right. These tend to be more powerful than the economic drivers of decision making. I mean, hell, if we were motivated by profit as farmers, we wouldn't be farming corn and beans. No. We'd be farming something else. Yeah. And so there's other operators going on right now. Um, you know. For the older generation, what matters? Uh, what are you willing to lose? Yeah. Right? We know how the current system ends. And they're not dummies. They've seen it. They've seen the changes that we're yeah. experiencing. Um, what are you willing to lose? You're willing to lose the farm? You're willing to lose your grandkids? Right. That's when it becomes personal. You said earlier, it's got to get personal. Yeah. Yeah. Let's link it. Yeah. My my parents out of the nine grandkids, I think uh four of them have severe autism. Is that right? Mhm. Mm wow. Yeah. Wow. My daughter uh, Christina and my daughter, we she's nine and uh she has autoimmune diseases and and the medicines don't work anymore. You know, that's personal. Yeah, that's personal. Now we got to change something. And that's yep. what you're that's what you're doing. Okay, last thing, Lude Myla asked, how many farms do you have left to study? It's probably ne never ending, right? Uh, it, it could be never ending. Uh, we're going to probably, uh, it'll start to wind down over the next probably three years or so. Uh, but we'll be on thousands of farms around North America. And we're already looking at how to globalize the experiment. So I was down in Mexico working with some indigenous farmers in the Maya community down there, Maya community, wow. and seeing how to take what we're learning from thousand farms and, and move this up to a global scale. Wow. Jonathan, you are absolutely amazing. The work you're doing, wow. This, this is going to be big, big, big. <laughs> I hope so. We're uh, trying. It's right. We're working really hard right now. Yeah. Well, guys, I can't. Hey, thanks, everyone, for the great conversation tonight. Jonathan, thank you so much. This, You are an absolute wealth of knowledge, and we've only just scratched your surface, so maybe one day we can have you back. Oh, uh, good, yeah. I, 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 and I'm going to try my best to come out to your field day, what, uh, August the 12th, right? That's right, yeah. And it'll go late because we're going to play the movie outside after dark. Oh, are you? Yeah. Huh? All right. That'll be awesome. Well, guys, well, Jonathan, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for coming on. This has been a blast. Thanks, Jonathan. Have a great evening and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much.